world now, you know what's going to be happening. Ain't nothing going to be happening. We are the ones that's been waking up the world. You don't want me to go to sleep. Pull the plug out of you and you'll be dead. I got a computer at home that's mean that was invented back in 1930-something. You know, the piano roll, you steer that. How hit the computer? Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. Benjamin Payloff is here in the studio. I'm so glad to see you. Benjamin, thanks for thanks for coming and to talk today. Thanks for having me. Oh, and thanks for picking the songs for today's program as well. Um, do you I... want to say a few words about our, our first one? Well, that was... Uh... So that was the opening uh, and title track of um, David Bowie's last album, the one that came out the day before he died. And um, and it was when you asked me whether I wanted to supply music, that was the first thing that came to mind because um, I think I'm still in mourning, to be honest. I, I mean, I, I, I know that the... I, I would figure that uh, usually if you have uh, writers sitting in this chair and you ask them about uh, major you know influences on their on their work as writers that they come up with other writers but one of the first names i'd come up with would be david bowie david bowie is someone i've been uh, i wouldn't say modeling myself on because i dress more conservatively but uh but you're uh, not here in any no sparkles in the outfit I, that i can see here no no <laughs> and my um my uh eyes are <laughs> symmetrical and uh no i don't i don't i don't look like i dropped off from another planet exactly but uh uh, no, he's uh, he's a, he's been a big influence on me, and also has has connected me with um, with some of the writers I translate. One of the the poets I I've translated most consistently in in my uh, career, uh, a fellow by the name of Andrzej Sosnowski, um, is also a, a huge Bowie fan, and has written poems based on Bowie songs and in response to Bowie albums and. When we uh, when we see each other in Warsaw, typically our conversation is about the last information we have about David Bowie. Um, that's sort of our. It's kind of like you know how high school boys have whole conversations, at least in my generation, that consist entirely of Monty Python lines. So like you know my conversations with Andre often are just references back and forth about David Bowie, thinking about David Bowie as as this. Um, uh, you know, iconic uh, figure in, in our sense of what it means to 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 be a creative artist. So, um, so that's why I, I I think I immediately thought of that that one um, track. And a person in a world beyond borders. Yeah, someone who's um, well, and I think more than anything else, someone who's always um, changing and um, produce and you know does a each each project uh, each book length. Um, collection of poems that I've I've worked on um, over the last several years has has looked radically different and takes a certain time for me between finishing one book and starting another book of playing around with different uh, approaches, forms, themes, and um, sort of casting around for what I want to do next. What I what I never want to do is an extension of the last thing I did, and and I know for certain that that's. Um, unconsciously and to a certain extent consciously modeled on my admiration for the way David Bowie would be um, a different songwriter in each album uh, using different idioms, experimenting with different forms. And then by the end of his career, uh, 
effectively reshaping music that had itself been a reshaping of his earlier music by other artists um, and and having that kind of continuously looping conversation and it, it, almost like there's this ripple effect that that extends through um, his music that I find really fascinating and that that connects to the one of the books that we have of yours on the table Benjamin um, and his orchestra um, out with Carnegie Mellon University Press, um, this this interconnectedness of within all of the poems and 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 his orchestra, um, but, and we'll talk. I hope more about this later, like the structure of having mm-hmm. um, last lines roll into first lines of the next poem, but also some of the imagery from the the previous poem um, carries into the the next poem or sometimes yeah. a poem just a couple of um, doors down mm-hmm. in the collection so like the the attic in the basement will be in one and then echo back in the next one so is this something that you are interested in with this poetry collection and his orchestra yeah I mean that, that was definitely uh, I think that's a that that um sort of looping back is also a reflection of what the the book itself um is about for me um it, it i started um i started writing this book um a few months after i first moved to ann arbor um uh about now what uh, 10 years ago i suppose moved back well, moved, but well, sort of. I, you know, I did my MFA in creative writing here uh, in the English department, but I never, in fact, lived in Ann Arbor. Um, I was living in uh, Lansing and commuting uh, because my wife uh, was had a, had work in in Lansing, so um, I was a visitor every day. Um, I was on the road a lot, um, but. Um, but moving back to Michigan, uh, certainly, and um, and in doing so, leaving uh, a life that I'd had in Boston for many years, and um, and and all kinds of other life events that had occurred for me at exactly that same time. I took on a faculty job at the University of Michigan, and um, uh, my daughter was born, and. So I became a father, and I—I I mean, my life seemed to be completely replaced by something uh, that uh, that I very much wanted, but was nevertheless very different from the life I had had. And my way of um, of thinking about all of my relationships with um, family and friends, many of whom are scattered around the world, uh, uh, became. Uh, locked in, in, as it were, in my own thinking about them as opposed to actually interacting with them. Um, And is that why these individual poems are, I have names attached to them? Yes. um, All of them are, what I I, I think what I had found in this period of my life was that I was having, and I think everyone does this to some extent, is have conversations with people in their heads as you're walking down the street or... um, you know, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, uh, even just, you know, uh, you get a, a, a nasty email from uh, someone at the office and you read it before you hop in the shower. In the shower, you're composing the response to that email, which then spins off into another kind of imaginal confrontation. With the, It doesn't all, always have to be confrontational. But for me, it was um, it was a, uh, a time when I was uh, thinking about people in this uh, dialogic, uh, uh, conversational way, far more than I was actually speaking with them. So um, I decided that that would be the basis for for what this these poems would be. And over the course of years, the poems sort of came out as um, not really letters to, but more um, conversations with my own mental image of the people who mean something to me. And it seems like in some of the poems, Benjamin, they'll, it's almost as if parts of the other person's voice are speaking. Or sometimes, if and tell me that if this is, I'm totally off here, or sometimes it seems like the I of the poem is maybe the other person 
like in like yeah yeah but i mean uh no <laughs> or back and forth no, sort I, of, or, and, and that's i think where those uh those repetitions of different images or themes coming back where they loop back that's where this comes from because you you know it's kind of like um even though this is more connected to the subject of the or the the, the, the themes that i've been working on in the last few years uh, because this this book and his orchestra i finished in um 2011 um, but it only recently came out about a year ago, and uh, but the you know the, there's a, there's a dream quality to it, and the dream quality is that you know you you dream of somebody else. And Freud, of course, puts lays this out very directly. You dream of somebody else, but it's not somebody else, right? If T <laughs> if T appears to me in a dream, it's not you showing up. It's you. It, it's me. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's me dressed as you, right? <laughs> Uh, just as the table is is me dressed as a table, et cetera, and there's a way in which, uh, the, in fact, the entire project of um, of dreaming and of thinking of other people is highly solipsistic, frankly. Mm. Um, that these image that the images keep coming back because they're all originating from the same place too, um, and uh, and that was something that was um, both uh, fascinating and and frankly um, upsetting to me, um, you know, because there's this. There's a desire, in fact, to connect to these people, but but in fact, uh, the 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 substitute that one provides out of one's own imagination becomes the very thing that blocks you from picking up the phone. Right, because in a way, you feel like something has been somehow you've connected. Yeah, in your imagination or in your imagined reality yeah well i actually i've you know this um is something i noticed about myself many years ago um it, it's one of the things that makes me a pretty lousy uh correspondent is that i i often i'll read a letter or an email and i'll think about how i want to respond to it and having f composed a response in my head i will forget that I never actually wrote it. I'll believe that I wrote it somehow, um, but I never pressed send. I often begin emails, oh, this was in my drafts folder. <laughs> um, because it just it doesn't it, it, it doesn't leave my head in a, in a way. Um, uh, it, it, it may speak to uh, all kinds of uh, pathological ways of socializing, but it did nevertheless <laughs> generate um, a, a, a pretty, um, for me, a pretty uh, uh, powerful approach to writing these poems. And so is that why the dedication then is for my orchestra? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, so, it's, so is your orchestra the people the, whose names are on these pages? Yes, I think so. The people in one's, in one's own sort of emotional life, not just in one's social life. Um, they're the ones who are playing all kinds of instruments in your head, right? And, um, and uh, you know, I, I was thinking – one of the, the, the things I was listening to a lot while I was writing this were things, you know, like, like Glenn Miller, um, listening to band leaders who are, who are effectively giving themselves to their band and having the band infect them at the same time. And this was, um, this was a big part of the project. So you were listening to – the orchestra and the swing and the yeah, huh. yeah, big a lot of big band music <laughs> um, seemed seemed thematically uh, and yet appropriate. we don't we don't have one picked for today's show. no 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 strangely we're leaving the big band out of it mm -hmm. <laughs> you know hey before we're gonna go to break for a moment and and hear the next song thanks for picking the music for today Benjamin sure. um, but I I realized I didn't read your bio so from the back of and his orchestra. Benjamin Paloff is the author of an earlier collection of poems, The Politics, and the translator of several works from Central and Eastern Europe. He teaches at the University of Michigan. We've also got other books on the table with us today. We've got The Poetics, uh, the, po the Politics. Um, we've got Lost in the Shadow of the Word, Space, Time, and Freedom in Interwar Eastern Europe, which is just out yeah. with Northwestern University Press. That's right. And then we also have... A manuscript on the table, the the next book of poems that I hope we get to hear a couple of by the end of the show, hopefully. Sure. Okay, let's take a short break. Today on Living Writers, Benjamin Paloff is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got the Liz behind the glass. We'll be back.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm glad you did. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers today on the program. Benjamin Paloff is here in the studio. We've got his collection of poems and his orchestra. Um, and we've been talking, we kind of got right right into the the, the poems, the, 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 the book itself. Um, and this is the second time we've had, this is our second radio conversation together. So maybe that's why we got right into the... You yeah, know. and it, but it's been a while. It has fact. been a while. Um, um, I do, I do find, in fact, having having already laid out the uh, pathologies of my uh, social life, uh, <laughs> I, I do find, in fact, that one of the sort of symptoms of that is that when I see people whom I haven't seen for quite some time, we we tend to pick up right where we left off, um, and that's of course not going to be true of everyone, but I. I tend to not see the other people <laughs> that often, um, but with some people, it, it, it really just, does. It just it's feels a, a like it's another. Yes. Co- it's part. Of, so maybe we can be picking up where yes. we left off, even though it's it's been some some years. I I also I wanted to ask you before we get too far, and there's so much to talk about and his orchestra, um, but this like the beginning, the um, the the epigraph in the beginning. You've got um, two. Yes. Here, yeah. Um, we do, how do you mind talking about these? The choice of these, um, as we before we move into the the book, like these yeah, two. Yeah, I um, I don't mind talking about them at all. I think that uh, I I think epigraphs are really, um, you know, it can be really fantastically valuable ways of setting a tone uh, or at least laying out a theme. And I understand that for some people first encountering this book. Um, they would have uh, some difficulty making sense of of what this book is about without the epigraphs. The epigraphs kind of set the stage. Um, so there are two, as you say. One is uh, Maurice Blanchot, who's one of uh, my favorite uh, 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 French philosophers, 20th century French philosophers, uh, from um, a text on the nature of friendship, that um, that I find uh, very powerful, um, something he wrote at the end of his life while reflecting on the deaths of his friends um, and uh, separation. And um, would you mind reading it for no, us? No, not at all. Um, friendship, this relation without dependence, without episode, yet into which all of the simplicity of life enters passes by way of the recognition of the common strangeness that does not allow us to speak of our friends, but only to speak to them, not to make of them a topic of conversations or essays, but the movement of understanding in which, speaking to us, they reserve, even on the most familiar terms, an infinite distance, the fundamental separation on the basis of which what separates becomes relation. Um, the the second epigraph relates to something very different. Um, uh, I mean, the first, the, the, what what Blanchot says is um, is that we uh, we seem to imagine ourselves absorbing the other people uh, in our lives, but in fact, we are uh, infinitely separated from them. That that's just an illusion that we can encompass them, uh, even if we're embracing them. That we are um, unknowable to them, and that that is is what allows the exchange um, that uh, I've returned to that a lot um, I li- <laughs> there might be something wrong with me that I can take arcane uh, I, I find so much emotion in arcane 20th century philosophy but uh, but it uh, but Blanchot is one of these writers actually who writes about literature writes about friendship writes about um, dying uh, in a way that I find um, uh, correct 
I think he's right. <laughs> right. Um, the, and it's so very sad as well. This like, I mean, I loved it. Yeah. But I, I, I felt it was so, so so sad as well as I guess it shouldn't be. It should be the because sometimes like you're recognizing something in the other that becomes this deep admiration or love or friendship and yeah. Um, but it's um, but that is. Uh, I think what Blanchot is pointing out is that that's only ever one's best guess, um, and um, and that and and therein I think lies the 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 beauty of uh, of friendship as um, as a religious act. It's a it's a leap of faith, um, and. Um, and one that is always being challenged. I mean, when you have when you have serious relationships with people, they're always forcing you in what they say or what they do uh, to uh, to question your own faith in that uh, space between you. And um, and and sometimes you just you, sometimes you give up. Sometimes you 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 go through even in in close relationships, one goes through um, periods of. Uh, for lack of a better word, agnosticism, um, and um, and uh, you know that's that's actually an important part of it. It's a recognition of of mm-hmm. that that space of that distance. Um, the other the other um, epigraph is it relates really to the way the the book works. Um, not to the topic of the the topic is is it really is friendship and relation the um the uh i i think of this very much as my book about friendship if i i i actually like i know that this is not always the case with with books of poems for me a book is about something that it has a it has a plot it has characters it it um it works the way uh, much the way a novel would but um the actual mechanics of it is is just a quote from that something Ray Liotta says in in uh, in, in Copland, um, that movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone and <laughs> and Robert De Niro, and he just says uh, while you know coked out of his mind the way only Ray Liotta can <laughs> perform, uh, you don't drive down Broadway to get to Broadway, um, which is an indicator of how this tour of friendship is going to work. So can we talk a little bit about the structure then mm-hmm. as we step into the book? Because um, we have, um, we're told there's an intro like in the table of contents and then we come right to it and right away visually. Um, how would you, how would you describe this since, since we can't, we don't, we don't have a camera panning over our shoulder at the right. moment. <laughs> um, well, so these are, these poems are, um, they're all lineated the way you would expect most lyric poems to be, right? Um, uh, they are. They have specific line breaks, but you wouldn't see where they are because the the uh, each line of the poem is um, justified left and right. So what you have is one continuous column that runs down each page, and it fills the page. It fills the page from from the left margin to the right margin. Um, but because the poems have specific line breaks, uh, the uh, the lines are them the, the words uh, between left and right margins are spaced out, um, uh, not in a way that the words themselves are not spaced out, but the spaces between the words uh, uh, fill in uh, a little bit of airtime between uh, the words. And um, and the and there's roughly the same number, roughly the same number of beats in each line. So you have this. What I thought of early in in writing the book is a kind of democratizing effect um, that um, that the uh, that each line gets more or less the same airtime. And is that would that also be like an attempt, like a flattening of sorts, so that each thing does have a certain equality. Yes, I think so. I mean, that's what I, I don't know how other people read it. Um, I've heard myself read it. Uh, I read these things a lot, and right, we'll, out loud. <laughs> we'll the, be hearing one um, say it. Would you want to read it, want, read one? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, 
Let me re- I'll read the intro the intro poem actually just to since it's the is the first thing we have um, um, and it's fairly short. I'm willing to believe every word the lead about my love, the sea greeting us in our beds, the brief about my failed read false conversion while not conversations. These broadcasts intimate our intimacy as well as any intercepted letter and transcribe us into a more active absence. Think soldiers waiting for tomorrow to report their yesterday. Think thieves whom circumstance renders reluctant oracles. Beggars in the market, scattering of chicken bones. Let us not feign surprise at the invisibility of their community when even these columns, like the archaic architecture they imitate, merely recall what rock once took from rock and offered to the sky. Thank you. So within that page, there's no, there's no punctuation. There's no, you, cause, and you move through it differently mm. than maybe someone might. Which is, which, which is fine by me. <laughs> I don't, I don't need people to read things the way I read things. Um, I, uh, I wanted that openness to, in fact, that people could make of this um, as as it is. I, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about a little bit as I was working on these poems is thinking about liner notes. You know, um, in uh, you know when when you open a back when we this is sort of tragic because now we buy all yes. of our all of our um, music online. Um, Although the more uh, the more we move into that moment in our history, the more I find myself actually buying LPs, and um, and you look at the liner notes to LPs, and generally the the, the lyrics are horribly punctuated, if punctuated at all. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of the words thrown onto paper, um, and um, they don't always correspond, in fact, to what you imagined they. The words had been. I remember um, reading once um, Ian Curtis, uh, the frontman of Joy Division, describing why or explaining why Joy Division never printed um, uh, lyrics in their in their with their albums, and he described the 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 suffering of being a young man working at a Manchester factory, and uh, and you know getting your paycheck going straight to the record store and buying that LP that you've been hoping for all week and then opening up the liner notes and realizing you've been singing the wrong thing um, he had this idea and said you know whatever you're singing those are the words right, right? Yeah. Um, and um, and I'm you know I, this is not exactly that but there's some kind of nod to that in huh. this uh, you, there should be different ways of reading these um, poems and different and it seems like it's interesting that you said use this um, example because of singing is also one of I feel like one of the themes or that goes through throughout this, the singing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I should say also that having that when I've read these, um, read from this book publicly, I have adopted different, um, I've tried different things as far as reading the poems. Um, I think that these poems, I mean, I know for myself that the, I wrote these poems specifically to be read aloud. Um, that's true. I think of, of most of, of what I write, including prose, frankly, um, that's, that's very important to me. Um, but, uh, you know, punctuation is, uh, is the equivalent of, and a very necessary equivalent of, um, musical notation. It gives you directions on how you're supposed to intone something. Um, I didn't want that. No, but you do have, is this called something when we have, we talk about the titles and then there's like the double colon and then the name of a person sometimes, um, for example, Ray McDaniel or mother, father, like it's, yeah, that's the, so each, um, you know what? Let's yeah. take a break we'll take a and break. then we'll come back. <laughs> Today on the program, Benjamin Paloff is here. Um, his book and his orchestra. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Benjamin Payloff is here. We've been talking about his book and his orchestra. Um, it's So when I first opened it, Benjamin, um, I almost wondered if it was something to do with like, uh, like it almost looked like a musical score or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think which I... but which we were just saying before the break that there is no punctuation, which would be sort of more composition. <laughs> and so it's funny that visually I thought, oh, you know, well, I was, you know, I took a course, in fact, in college on new music and um, and these were all orchestral pieces. But one of the things that really fascinated me in that course was specifically how contemporary composers are have been playing with different not playing with it's, it's uh, that makes it sound frivolous in fact it's highly systematic uh different forms of musical notation that include things like geometric shapes um that are there to be interpreted by the uh, uh the conductor uh for the orchestra then playing the music and um you know, th- I think that the way I've structured this book, I don't plan on doing this again, in fact. No. Um, but no. The, the way I've structured this book uh, is um, it, it allows for, uh, or, or I hope it allows for, uh, a, a freedom in interpreting the sound structure of the poems themselves. But it's not absolute freedom. You know, you can't. Um, if you tried reading from the last word forward, you know, backward to the first word, that wouldn't really work. <laughs> right. Because um, even with the space, sometimes I wondered, oh, does Benjamin want us to fall down the page sometimes in yeah. a different way? Yeah. Uh, I've tried that. I've tried reading it that way. It doesn't work for me. No. Um, I imagine there might be some way of doing it. Um, it also, it's the sort of thing where it might lend itself to... Um, uh, games with erasure, you know, yes. because it's, it would be quite easy to just cross out certain words and create different poems within the, the, these poems themselves. And, and in fact, um, at, uh, at the time, during the time I was, um, I was writing this, I was also, uh, spending a lot of time with, uh, the second book by, uh, the poet Oni Buchanan, um, which has these, uh, a series, a sequence of poems that she calls the Mandrake Vehicles. And the the book was published with a CD-ROM that allows you to see how they work. In the book, it's it, in the in the print book, you get to see different versions of this, of, or rather you see different poems that are made from preceding poems. So um, uh, words would fall out of one poem and then the next poem would be the the first one with the uh, with certain words removed um but uh on the cd-rom what you get is uh a digital animation of that process where you act where you literally see the words falling out of the first version and then the remaining words crunching together into new lines and then and this would i think there were three iterations of this until you had a very very thin uh poem left over at the end um, and uh, and I'm sure that that had played some role in my in my thinking about the possibilities of this at the time. And so, when you were writing these poems at at first, what um, th- so they weren't in this kind of a shape then? At what po- or were that because because you were saying at the at the beginning of the the program that they were there are these kind of letters. Yeah, um, they would. Uh, I would write them out. Um, as lines, um, uh, the way one would imagine you write a poem, right, with a left margin, um, and uh, and then I would take those and um, sp- once I had settled on this form, um, which was 
somewhere maybe halfway down the road, I played around with different forms of lineation to see what would uh, make sense for me and what what's, what spoke to me. And... Uh, and once I settled on this form, then I would I would take the, the 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 early the drafts of the poems where I thought the words were in a pretty in pretty good shape, and then set them into this vessel, um, and then have to revise those poems on the basis of what the vessel then did to change what I had originally done. Um, sometimes there was uh, too much spacing, so much sometimes too little spacing. Sometimes the words got crunched together. Sometimes um, the rhythms just felt kind of like like staggered or tripped in some way that didn't I didn't find pleasing. What I could I could read it perfectly well when it was in draft form, but once I had done this to them, I couldn't read it very well. Um, and then and then the process became you know for the the sort of second half of working on this book and and a book takes me you know four years to write. Um, a lot of it was like sculpting, you know. Moving, moving things around and dropping them down into different lines, sometimes eliminating lines, eliminating words. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes the end product would look very, would just be a completely different poem from the preceding product. Um, once that I can think of, I actually sent the poem, no, maybe twice, sent the poem to the person who's named in here. And then I stopped doing that because... In doing, in sending it to them, I would start thinking about how they would be reading it, and then that would change how I was revising it. <laughs> the, the, right. The thinking about them and their response to it became what the poem eventually became. And that couldn't. That wasn't what this project was about. No, I, I, and that's why, I mean, you had mentioned that there are these two colons. I, I put the two colons there. It's really just a graphic there just to, to really, for me, is, and to indicate that these are not letters. These are not dedications. These are something else. And for me, it's very much these. this is the voice that was in my head that I was in conversation with. It's yeah, it's so interesting visually. I wondered what happened when um when you first sent the manuscript to Carnegie Mellon University Press. Um Jerry Costanzo, who's the uh the editor, the main editor there who 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 has been the the chief editor there for many years um and who who published my first book, um I sent this to him uh and then um and then saw him at um I think it was at the uh, Associated Writing uh, uh, Programs Conference um, uh, just a few months later um, and, and you know, went up to him and just said, so I sent, you know, so what did you think? And he kind of pulled me aside and said, it's really weird, um, but we want to run it. Um, and, and I took, and that to me was exactly what I wanted, right? I don't... Um, I certainly didn't want him to say, eh, I'm not into it. <laughs> like, it's, um, and, uh, and I wanted it to be, I mean, it is, it, there is something strange about it. A friend of mine who's a, who's a, 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 a poet, uh, in New Jersey, who's been, um, who's, who's been a reader of, of, um, my work for, for decades now is, uh, she, she told me it gave her a headache, um, which I did not take, while not entirely complimentary, I did not take to be a bad thing. Um, I certainly, the goal is not to give people a headache with this. Um, but uh, it does look visually on the page different from a lot of what's being published today. And um, and yet uh, it... It was something that Carnegie Mellon was was happy to publish, even though it is not uh, the sort of thing that they typically publish. That's what I wanted, uh, so so that that worked out very well, I think. And and so earlier you said that that once you do, like once you make a book, it takes those years. And um, so what is because you've got this a new manuscript on the table now mm -hmm. with us, Benjamin. So what are there part of the 
I don't know. I don't want to say, I don't mean it to sound flippant, but part, like, part of the game or what's at work in some of this, we were talking about the interconnectedness, like the, the last line going into the first line, for example, and right. the echoes of imagery. And um, so does anything, what is flowing into these next, these new poems that you've been working on for these last years? Um, even though I guess we could say, the structure won't be anything the same. Right. I, um, you know, in, in my first book, um, The Politics, uh, there were, there's a preoccupation, I think, uh, thematically with, um, with deity. Uh, there are lots of poems that are religious in nature, not devotional. I don't write devotional poems, but they are, um, they, they are theological, if you will. Um, and uh, there are several points in um, in and his orchestra where um, the poems remark on the fact that they're avoiding talking about God. Was one was was that like one like for your wife? Was that one? Uh, yeah, so? yeah. There's one there. Uh, there's a there's another. Um, there are actually there are two poems here that are that are at least written with my my wife in mind, um, but um, but the um, and then there's another there's another mention toward the end of the book in a in a one of the longer um, poems um, which is directed sort of toward or um, or or thinking about uh, a Russian poet uh, and friend named Olga Sidakova who's someone I've um, been, um, uh, you know, I've had rattling around in my head for a number of years, um, and I've written on her, uh, uh, as an academic as well. And she, and her, her, her work is, um, is deeply, uh, uh, tied to Christian theology. Um, and you work ginormous into that poem. I just wanted to remark upon that. Yeah, um, a really ginormous computer. Yeah, and it's the line. The the that bit is that um, that uh, that um, uh, we've all been about as mindful of God as an electron is of its computer. In fact, let's just go ahead and say that if God is one anything, it has to be a really ginormous computer. Um, and uh, and the, the the manuscript of the book that is my next book of poems um, that I'm still um, working on uh, is called Versus Computer, um, and it is very much a, a a book of grappling directly with deity and and theological problems that have kind of vexed me since I was uh, a child. And and the manuscript is growing. Like, where where are you in the process here? Because you've said it's you've been working on it for, for, for uh, a couple of years. Yeah, since um, you know, since uh, more or less since I finished um, the politics, the the very beginning of working on. And this has been true of my of the of the of these books that the the very beginning of working on um, uh, one generally happens at the tail end of working on um, on what preceded it. So I was thinking that this was what was coming. Um, at the time, I was finishing working on and his orchestra, and, and, and that's one of those ways in which things kind of tie together. Um, the, uh, there are even, I, and there, there are hints in this. So this manuscript is, is full, it's complete, but I'm I'm reshaping. I'm not really reshaping. I'm refining. I'd say some. Uh, I'm, I'm moving a lot of commas. <laughs> oh, um, so there's punctuation. Makes oh, it, into it this is. One. It is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, let's let's take a short break, and then um, when we come back, we'll we'll hear one of the new poems. Sure. Um, today on the program, Benjamin Payloff is here. We've been talking about his collection, his poetry collection, and his orchestra. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Benjamin Payloff is here. His book and his orchestra on the table. And we've also, um, we've got the new manuscript in hand. Um, would you read us one? Uh, of yeah. the new poems. Yeah, this is one. This, so this is, um, this, uh, this is from a, a, a book that I'm just finishing up uh, called uh, Versus Computer. And... Um, and there, there are several poems in here. Many of the poems have the same title. That's one of the forms of repetition that I've been, that I've sort of switched into. Is that there are multiple poems that just have the same title. Um, the uh, and the, I'll read one um, that's from a. The several poems in the in the in the book are called Hermeticum, um, uh, which uh, these are poems that deal with uh, the. Uh, the notion that, uh, and, and it goes back to um, uh, very early uh, uh, philosophical literature, uh, religious literature that that sought um, messages in dreams, that believed that dreams were were um, messages delivered from deity down to human beings, which is why they're called Hermeticum. Hermes being the messenger of the gods. Um, so this is Hermeticum II, sentence to a body. What should I call you? We are the compromise between shopping and going home. If living is not what we do in history, what are we supposed to do with all this meat? The undying conviction that our product could remove the toughest stains motivated us to gas this village. Is this a necessary pain or the pain of necessity? Whatever fits in your necessaire, whatever you can send through the Schwitter sphere, whatever your faith can offer addicts in training. You say this town is finished, plain as that, if that's what you call a day, another year in development hell. How do you know you're still in the pose? Honey, you are the pose. Thank you. Um, I, I feel like listening to that, um, Benjamin, I feel like it it does connect back to reading and his orchestra. I feel like in the poems there's there's humor, violence, and anger often. Yeah, in, I think in, that's in, fair in to in say. I'm, wor of, I'm working on the anger part. That's I don't <laughs> I actually have at one point in the in this manuscript. I didn't want to write an angry poem. <laughs> it comes out in a poem. That's a line. Yeah, that's a line in a poem. <laughs> How does the rest of the poem go? <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it, it it tries to deal with that, but it's it, there is a, there is quite a bit of anger in 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 this. I think that that one has um, that in fact in dealing with both with oneself and and in fact with. Um, questions of god uh that um that anger is an, is an entirely appropriate response um and maybe especially more so now it seems like in the recent weeks as well yeah i think i think that may be so true grappling with the idea of spirit or god but also what surrounds us in the day-to-day well, and and grappling for me, it's very much, uh, and 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 you certainly see this in our national politics. You see this in po I follow politics around the world as part of my work, and I and and generally have seen this around the world, especially in in Eastern Europe, which is where most of my work is based. Um, that uh, there is uh, a kind of um, grappling with the problem of what it means to. Um, to have faith in your own righteousness, um, what it you know, I, I I generally am of the mind that uh, that we should all assume we're the antichrist, um, and that if we lived that way, uh, we would avoid it, um, uh, as opposed to being it. Uh, and um, and I, I you know I read that way. I I my own response to literature, to poems, just as to say to other to other things, film, music is. Um, I don't. I, I generally respond negatively to things that make me feel like uh, I agree with them. Um, I like to be pushed out of agreement, uh, to feel challenged, to feel unsettled, unsettled, disturbed. Um, otherwise, what was the point? I just wasted my time. I don't need to read a poem that makes me feel the way I felt when I got to the poem. Um, 
And I think that I, there, I know that there are other readers who are very good readers who feel quite the opposite. They look for some kind of affirmation in the way they in in what they read. Um, and like um, a mirroring of experience, yeah. or epiphany, or yes. I mean, one of my you know uh, my area of professional activity is in Eastern Europe and in Eastern European literature, where which is something that a lot of uh, American writers turn to for um, what they describe as moral authority. Um, mm -hmm. I don't turn to it for moral authority. I turn to it to feel my sense of... of uh, Some more of outrage? A, of, <laughs> no, yeah, no. yeah, or no, more no, uh, a kind of, um, I would say, a kind of um, unsettlement of what I thought I knew. Mm. Um, and uh, if, if um, you look for... Um, anything, including, I, I think, including your friends to simply confirm what you already believe, you maybe could could deal with getting new friends. Um. <laughs> so there's some free advice. Everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, Sorry. we try to throw in a few things on living writers <laughs> yeah. for every program. <laughs> yeah. But this is, I mean, this is very much about, the, for me, this is very much what, what writing poems is about, is finding things that... Um, what 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 you will not find a lot of i think in my work is um righteous outrage um it's more like suspicion um and it generally is suspicion directed at myself because that's what i want poems to do and what about the violence within them because when i listed my short list earlier yeah. um what you responded to was anger right yeah um violence to me is is, is a um Violence does appear in a lot of my poems, and it generally appears as a statement of fact. Um, and the, and it, it's because it's a fact um, that uh, that I it, it would seem that uh, you know if you take um, uh, this may be more political commentary than you had bargained for, but if you take something like the Black Lives Matter uh, movement in 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 the United States uh, today, and the um, uh, right wing dismissal of it as all lives matter my objection to that is not simply it's not paying attention to an extremely important uh uh, uh social movement um it's dismissal of that movement that i find reprehensible but fine i can find lots of things reprehensible my my main objection is that it's not true that all lives don't matter in fact uh, the fact of the matter is that in all, for all of us, in all of our lives, some lives matter and some lives do not. Uh, and there is a sliding scale. Um, and I would rather acknowledge that as a matter of fact uh, in a poem than make some kind of bogus claim that the opposite is true. And so that is part of the role of the violence. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's um, it's uh, uh, and often it's violence accompanied with some kind of humorous counterweight, um, which is um, uh, probably nothing more than my own need to make myself feel comfortable with reality as it is. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um. So you've also, you've done, so when you were mentioning some of uh, your academic work connecting to Eastern Europe, and I feel like some of the articles you've also written for The Nation mm -hmm. um, magazine um, have also been about, I don't know, like poetry of witness, like right. looking to this and saying, um, and also, and the, your last piece, I think, uh, Forensic Translation. Um, um, I don't. I can't remember if that came out first, or the that or the poetry of witness one that I did for them um, came out in the right. same year. I think so. I, yeah. Okay. Um, what What do you see your work like? Um, is it important to you to write for publications like The Nation? It's really important for me to do this. Although I I don't I haven't been doing it much lately. I think I've been more um, frankly reclusive, both uh, personally and professionally. <laughs> uh, but. Um, I, 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 it is important for me simply because um, there are um, there are ways in which what we um, those of us who read professionally and write professionally uh, that we can uh, choose to stay within a very narrow uh, or very very uh, tightly circumscribed 
uh, world of academia or literary publishing. Um, or uh, we can assume the challenge, and it's a, it's a very, for me, it's a very serious challenge uh, to um, offer um, some of our findings, uh, some of the things that we've discovered in that close attention to text and to speech, uh, to uh, an audience that may not otherwise have access to it. And to do so, and this is where the real challenge is, to do so in a way that is not um, speechifying or uh, merely didactic, but is um, a, a, a very clear connection of what would seem arcane to the lives we are actually living and the world we're actually living in. Um, when I write about, say, translation, the reason I write about translation for something like The Nation is because, um, because if it were not for translation happening constantly all around us uh, uh, in our financial markets, in our news feeds, in our... Um, uh, medical procedures uh, in our uh, universities, certainly in factories, uh, then really the zombie apocalypse would descend upon us in about half a second, right? The whole world would come to a screeching halt. And uh, because of that, it's worth exposing for a public, for a, a much larger public audience, uh, some of the deep mechanics of how this operates. Um, and I could say the exact same thing about uh, poetry, about literature, about historical writing, that these things are the deep uh, wiring of the reality that we live in. And those of us who are deeply familiar with those things can either um, expose the wiring so other people understand uh, or simply leave, lock ourselves in some kind of echo chamber of specialists. And I would prefer the former. Benjamin Payloff, thank you so much for talking with me today on Living Writers. Thank you very much for having me. Come back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to everyone for listening out there. Thanks to Liz for engineering. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. <laughs> Live from
Production Studio A in downtown Ann Arbor. You're listening to the Daily Sports Report on 88.3 WCBN-FM.